With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Thanks for choosing this free Anfield Index podcast. If you'd prefer to listen to this or any of our other shows without adverts, then now's the time to check out Anfield Index Pro. With AI Pro, you can supercharge your entire listening experience. You'll not only get all of our podcasts without the ads, but you'll have them far faster with our quick publish feature available exclusively for subscribers. AI Pro also puts you in the heart of our sound studio, with an option to listen to many of our shows live and interact with the podcasters in real time as the shows are recording. Upgrading couldn't be easier. AI Pro is available on all popular podcast platforms, and we have our own apps for Apple and Android. Just head on over to AnfieldIndexPro.com and get started today. Hello and welcome to your post-match Raw on AI Pro, podcasting to you from my field here in beautiful rural Ireland. I'm Trev Downing, and joining me to give their immediate reactions to Liverpool 1, Brentford 0 in the Premier League from a gloriously booing Anfield are Dave Hendrick and Jim Boardman. Dave, I'm almost tempted to just sack off the game chat all together and chat about how there was a beautiful, beautiful lesson delivered to those obnoxiously wealthy lizards over in London, where I believe some lad got a new hat today and he's wearing his new hat and his missus got a new hat as well, apparently. And we were all supposed to bow in supplication to that lot. I was so proud of what Anfield did today. It made a big difference to me. And obviously, Jim, I'm going to let you chat about this as well. But Dave, just immediate response has to be that first, because it is it is a moment. We're going to be absolutely pilloried as a club across all the media from all the usual lovies. You know it's coming. Yeah, look, I'm I'm conscientious that there will be people that listen to this who are not anti-royal. There will be people who are Liverpool fans that are in favour of the monarchy. So I am conscious of that. And we saw our captain today as Anfield rang with booze. We saw our captain sing the national anthem. So, you know, you do have to be conscious that there are people that have that viewpoint. <clears throat> with that being said, fuck those people. And you can stick your coronation up your arse. It is the weirdest fucking thing I've ever heard. And it is beyond weird that there are people <clears throat> whose entire life seems to revolve around a flag and a song. And just to remind people that part of that song talks about reigning over us, reigning over us. In 2023. In 2023. God save our gracious king. Gracious. What's gracious about a fella sitting there wearing about two million worth on his head in a chair that probably costs similar. Like, what's gracious about any of this? Why do you want someone to reign over you? What is the purpose of that? Why have you allowed this to happen to this point in time? You know, I saw a debate the other day between Piers Morgan, who would struggle to debate an open door, 
and uh, a university student from Oxford. And the student from Oxford was basically pointing out the flaws in the, the monarchy. And he was saying, you know, people use the excuse of, well, if we abolish the monarchy, it will completely alter the political system in this country or that country. Obviously, he was speaking about the country he was in. And he was then saying, well, the counterpoint to that is people always say, well, the, the, the monarch doesn't rule the country in terms of politics. The monarch is is a non-political position. So how can you have both? How is it that you can argue that the monarch doesn't have interfering powers in the way the country is run and then argue that without the monarch, the political system in the country would fall apart? I, I, it's just so very weird. And I, and I understand that people will look at myself and Trev as Irish people whose country was subjected to centuries of tyranny. The eight, just the eight. Just the eight centuries of tyranny from from you, the UK or Great Britain or whatever the fuck it was called at the time and, and think that we're biased. And, and of course we are, but it's it's still weird. Like, it's not quite as weird as the American people who are in, you know, sexual relationships with flags and songs, that's that's a different <laughs> level of weird. But like it's getting there. And if you're the type of person who who camps out on the street by a road to watch a fella go by in a car for three days, I really do think you probably need to seek medical help because there's something fucking wrong with you. A golden Cinderella car, if you don't mind. And enough yes. of us, enough of us paddies going on about our 800 years of oppression. Jim, let's, let's offer you the opportunity to just reflect on a display of booing that I'm sure the, the Goodison crowd were envious of, because uh, they are the absolute tops when it comes to a fucking boo. But like, to be honest, that was tremendous, I thought. And again, if, if there are people turning off, well, maybe this is, this show isn't for them and apologies. I guess I, I'm not sorry. Sorry, not sorry. What was your take, Jim? Well, you know, I'm absolutely astounded that you're talking about that, like that about the king of this. Actually, not my king either. I, I, I was, I was absolutely made up. I thought it was, it was stupid. The whole idea was stupid. The Liverpool should have stood up to the Premier League and said no. There is absolutely no way we're going to do that. Um, the example I came up with, and this is maybe a bit off kilter, but remember years ago when Wimbledon were potentially going to move to Dublin and be a Premier League franchise yeah, in yeah. Dublin, right? Can you imagine if? Let's just pretend that this Dublin Dons were playing in the Aviva every week or whatever. Can you imagine them? <laughs> would it, would the Premier League have got away with it then? Well, by their, their standards, yeah. I don't think they understand what Liverpool as a city and its people are like. And it's not just about the royal family. It's about the whole way the establishment has shit on this city for years. Um, in a way, almost as if it's thought, right, we can't do it to the Irish and everybody else. Let's go, let's go with the Scousers. Cause that's, that's what it's kind of been like. I mean, it's gone on longer than that. Um, you know, and this city, I would say, we, we've probably got more allegiance to you lot over there than we have to that lot down in London. It's just something and, and we feel versa, more like I, you, you know. It, and and I think that. that's where the connection is, though, Jim, isn't it? That's why so yeah. many Irish are drawn yeah. to, to Liverpool. But, like, the thing is, it is worth pointing out, this is not the, the, the Liverpool-based anti-nationalistic feelings is not – it's not unique to the, the country of England where there is a major city who have been shit on by the government for decades and have fought back. In Ireland, it's Limerick, a, a, a city that was 
for many years put into, like Liverpool, a managed decline and has now roared back. In Italy, it's Naples. In France, it's Marseille. Like, and I think that's why there's a bit of a kinship between, you know, the Irish in general and, and the people of, of Liverpool, but also like the city of Limerick is very closely tied in that kind of mindset to the city of Liverpool. Liverpool fans and, and, Nap- and, and Napoli fans have that kind of shared experience as well of raging against the machine, if you want. And I think it's what creates such a special bond, a special environment between people and club, because rather than turning and bowing and kissing the ring of some fella from London wearing a hat, you turn and you worship a football club. And I do think that's what creates a very special bond between the fans and people like Bill Shankly and people like Kenny Dalglish and people like Jurgen Klopp is that you're, you're almost replacing what those weird people have in their adoration for some fella who just happened to come out of the sack of some other fella um, from Germany and turning it towards another man from Germany, do you know? Are you that person who has everything? The coolest merch and those must-have fan threads? Well, over at our Anfield Index shop, we've gone that extra mile when it comes to pimping up your Liverpool collection. From our popular range of bespoke design T-shirts, sweaters, hoodies and hats, to our signature edition mugs, prints and coasters, all provided with fast worldwide shipping. We have something for every red. We also stock official LFC merchandise and are licensed with the Premier League and UEFA to sell official iron-on shirt badges and sleeve patches. As a listener to this podcast, you can get 10% off everything with coupon code AIPRO10. Just head over to anfieldindex.shop or find us on Etsy by searching for Anfield Index. It's, it's, I mean, the thing is, the whole royal thing, I mean, they were going on about, I read articles about how the thing they sat on to put the crown on his head dates back to the, you know, 1200 and something years that, not time, um, not, not hours, I mean. And, you know, it's been used by so many different kings over the years. And this thing about this stone that they stole from Scotland and then gave back, but then they borrow it back now. And I'm thinking, you know, how much blood is spilt and all that just so these guys, whoever they are, can get that privileged place. And, the world's changed, and I think if you're in this position now, you could almost turn it into something good. You could say, right, we're going to earn our corn. We're going to make sure that everything we get spent on us gets given back to the country in some way. You know, supposedly the tourism and all this other stuff that goes on. You know, I, I mean, I think London could just be turned into a tourist destination. The Houses of Parliament should be shut down as a, a as a working place and move it somewhere else in the country. Uh, you know, make that make that a, a museum. This is where all the shit used to happen, but we're not like that anymore. But we are like that anymore not we as in westminster the country um you know i mean this is a country where where winston churchill decided to send troops to liverpool because people were going to go on strike and this today a load of protesters were arrested from as far as far as i know trying to get some some flags out of a van um yeah yeah no said not my king yeah yeah, and and apparently the police said why why they've been arrested we don't we'll tell you later you know it's like it, it's it's just shit. It just, just really is. I mean, I would say to the protesters next time there's something like this, wear reversible T-shirts and reversible hats and things, and then just at the right time, switch them round, you know, 
under your flags to show that underneath it is not my king, and you'll already be in the crowd then. Um, it, it's just pathetic. It's just, and and the the only argument I can give to it, and it's really tenuous, is to say, well, okay, loads of people came to the capital today. I'm sure loads of money would have been spent and all the rest of it. And in all honesty, if people want to be dickheads and camp out just to see someone go past and look down at them from a coach, then that's their money. Let, let them spend it that way. I mean, people spend money watching Everton. Let them, you know, it's their money. Let them do what they want to do. But <laughs> in all honesty, it's got to be... Um, <laughs> It's got to be just the worst thing on earth to say, by the way, you've got to take part, right? So I didn't want to go down to London today and take part. I didn't really want to go down to London and protest. I wasn't asked. I just thought, leave him to it. And up until, was it yesterday? I kind of thought that's how my day would pan out. There's this thing happening. If I don't watch the news, I'll not know much about it. Next thing you know, they throw it right in my face by making us listen to that shitey dirge, which... I mean, I don't know much about national anthems. It's got worse lyrics than anything. I mean, at least other national anthems are talking about the people and how they, you know, they're rising up against the shit. They're, they're you know, as a country, it's all of us together. This is like, you know, please, please, can we carry on being looked down on by you? It's it's pathetic. But the thing is, it should not have been imposed on us. And the best answer to that is to give them the answer they wanted. So now they've got it. All the news broadcasters are going to say, you know, oh, there was this good thing happening here. And oh, look at this, these, these cute kids at this street party. And, um, you know, all this other shit that will be put in the news. Then they've got the butt. They've got the thing at the end. Meanwhile, and fine, let them. Because what it needs to do now is lead to a more and more conversation about why we do it and why they need to stop imposing that on us and start putting things right instead of carrying on treating us. Well, treating us the way they treat they treated your ancestors and the way they've treated so many other people's ancestors. Um, that, it, it's just wrong. That's it, Jim. And the reason I, I, I wanted to talk about this at the start and, you know, forgive us if it seems indulgent and not about the football. I, I honestly don't care because we're very interested in the culture of our club and the city that that club is based in. And the top search, if you look into Google now, is why did Liverpool fans boo the national anthem? Because there is such a level of ignorance, even among some Liverpool fans. I'm sure our lot who are listening to this are an educated bunch, but maybe some of them haven't even heard the phrase managed decline. And if you haven't, then go and have a look and then maybe you'll start to get an idea. And before anyone else says, well, are you equating Tory politicians and the, the royal family? Yes, I am. Yes, I am. And yeah, go, this, this, yeah, this is a nation where, where Jeremy Corbyn was basically you know, considered a, a dodgy person by MI5. You know, it's like the, the establishment. I mean, I mean, and, and let's say another thing as well. If there's one royal I don't mind, it's Prince Harry, because, I mean, he's kind of getting on with his own thing and he's being pushed out the door and he calls it the firm and he kind of starts to say what it's like um, behind the scenes. It's a horrible, horrible place to be. Um, they shit on everyone. They do. Own. They do. They do. And let's, let's, let's turn our attention now then back to the football and we'll get straight to the lineup uh, bits, uh, uh, now. And Dave, I'll start with you just to have a quick look at how Jurgen chose to go today because I think it was quite exciting. And I saw you say something which I was nodding quite, um, strongly with, which was that that team that went out today in terms of the current squad, you substitute in um, Luis Diaz for 
Diogo Jota and I think that's as strong as we can go with the form that Curtis is showing for the record it was Allison. it was uh, nominally our strongest defence uh, Fab and uh, uh, Curtis Cody in a withdrawn role theoretically Jota Salah Nunes um, what did you make of that were you excited to see that did you think it was um, a, a, a little bit throwing caution to the wind or is it a, a, the kind of team you'd expect to see in a home game against Brentford? No, it was it was more attack-minded than I thought we'd see. I assumed Henderson would start um, <clears throat> just because, you know, uh, but it was good to see. And obviously Brentford are a very good team and myself and Carl were talking about them on Scouted. And when you really look at kind of the, the run of fixtures that we've had, the five wins coming into this one, and then look at them and look at how solid they are and how well coached they are. They're probably the best club we faced. I mean, I know Spurs are higher than in, them in the table and, you know, have better players overall, but Spurs are a train wreck. This is a really well coached team. Thomas Frank's done a brilliant job this year. They know what they're about. They've got a very set way of playing. And we thought he'd go 4 3 3. And I think the fact that he chose to go with the back five today really helped us because I think if they'd had Tony with two wingers, I do think that would have hurt us. But because they only went with two up front, I think we were able to get away with being that bit more attack minded because rather than having a third guy up front, it was a third centre back. So having Cody withdrawn behind the front three didn't leave huge amounts of space for them to attack behind us. Um, so yeah, I was, I was excited by the team and I'd like to see that team with Diaz get another run. I, I thought, you know, most of the front four had rough games, you know, a mixed bag, some good, some bad. Mo probably was the best of the lot, but, you know, Darwin had some good moments, some bad moments, probably more bad than good in fairness, but you can't fault his effort. Jota, to me, still doesn't look right, and he just slows everything down so much. And Cody, I mean, it's a new role for him. It's something that he's having, he had to adapt to, and he had to adapt to it on the fly against a good team. So I'd like to see how it would look if he got a couple more outings there, because if he could do really well in that role, then maybe we could rejig what we need to do in the summer, and maybe you look to bring in a different type of player than, say, a Mason Mount, who would play that role in quite a similar way. Yeah, that's interesting, actually. And uh, I'm going to stay with you to have a quick look at Brentford and let, get, let Jim make his comments on both teams as well, then whatever he wants to talk about. Because I know you've done a, a pod looking ahead to this one. Uh, they went today with Raya, Hickey, Zanka, Pinnock, Me, uh, Henry, uh, Janelt, uh, Onyeka, Jensen, Mbwemo and Tony, um, who uh, in a different world, uh, Ivan Tony had signed for Liverpool and I'd be a very mm. happy man because I think he's a wonderful footballer. Um, even Jamie Carragher was going on about him at length today and if Carragher's notes and sometimes I think that's, uh, that's quite, quite the, the tribute, uh, because sometimes I, I, I'm not sure what game Jamie's watching and he just has everything. Uh, I'm very, very, uh, impressed with him as a football. On their bench today, they had Shadow who came on, De Silva who came on, Wissa who came on, who'd done us damage before, got us Azure, um, Damsgaard who came on, Baptiste who came on and Rorslev. Um, 
Look, they have again, like uh, the, the lot we were playing recently, kind of have the job done. Um, yeah. They've 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 added on in terms of what they were able to produce over the course of a season to what they did last season. Their manager is very very highly rated and respected. They probably have enough to to to, to last again next year. But I think if they were to strengthen in one or two areas. They're a side there with that manager who could possibly be worrying European places next year if they did it right. Oh, I fully agree. I think there's a lot of good footballers there. And the thing is to consider here as well is if you look at the recruitment they've done for this season, so last summer in January, young Hickey came in. He was bought as a left back, but he's two-footed, so he's kind of learned the right back role over the year. He's also had some injuries, so I think we see more of of him and a better level of him next season. Damsgaard came in. He's been in and out of the team, hasn't really shown what he's capable of. So, again, I think you see more of him next season. season. Keen Lewis Potter, they bought him in from Hull. Really talented young player, but he's had a bunch of injuries and it hasn't really worked yet. But, again, he's one that should kick on next season. And then Kevin Shade in January. Like, that's about £60 that they invested that haven't contributed huge amounts this season, but should as they improve in age. And they're all in that sort of 20 to 23 age bracket, so you'd expect that they'll all get better. And then there's just a lot of talent there. I mean, Jensen's a quality player. Janel's a good player. They're missing Christian Norgard today, who's that solid holding midfielder that they like to have. Onyeka came in for their first Premier League season and, and is a, a solid citizen. He'll He'll do the running. He'll make his tackles and he'll buy you some free kicks. But up front, I mean, this is where I think they're really strong with, with Mbomo and Shade and Wissa and Lewis Potter when he kicks on. But it all focuses on Ivan Tony. And I, I would make a very strong argument that after Harry Kane and obviously the freak at City, Ivan Tony is the best number nine in the league. And as an all-round footballer in terms of what he's capable of doing, I think he's second only to Kane because he his hold-up play is unbelievable. His running the channels is great. He's creative. He's great from a set piece. He's dominant in the air. And he's a brilliant finisher. Like, there's no hole in his game. Now, Dave, if he, thought experiment for you. Thought experiment for mm-hmm. you. But just to cut across your thought. And, and again, Jim, I'll come to you to talk about this as well. And you're taking both teams. But just a thought experiment here. Uh, in in the recent window, we sign Ivan Tony instead of um, instead of Darwin Nunes, and that, this is nothing to do with uh, Darwin Nunes. This is just imagine if that was our reality. Yeah. Um, what do you see the result being? Because <laughs> I I'd really love to see that. Oh, I'd love to see it. I, I I said this last season when he absolutely battered us in the three three down at their place, this is the guy we should be focusing on as the the Bobby replacement. And people laughed and said he wasn't good enough. But this guy is absolutely good enough. He's got 20 goals in the Premier League this season. If he had better finishes around him, he'd have double figures assists as well. And he scores every type of goal and he does every type of thing. And look, how many cent, how many players do we see come to Anfield and give Ibu Kanato, Ibu Kanate an absolute bullying. And Ibu stood up to him well, but like Tony was getting the better of most of those exchanges. 
when he went up against Virgil, he got the better of Virgil a few times as well. Last season, he destroyed Joel Matip and gave Virgil a torrid time. Like, this guy, against anybody, matches up really well. And for me, I mentioned the Gakbo thing earlier. Like, what would it look like if he was that right side of eight? Let's say we go this summer and we bring in Alexis McAllister and he's going to be playing where Curtis is. Well, what if instead of buying Mason Mount, we bought Ivan Tony and moved Cody into that deeper role and played Tony through the middle? And then you've got Mo on the right, Tony through the middle, Diaz on the left, and then Darwin can play left or center. Jota can play all across that front line. Gakbo can play pretty much all across that front line as well. So you'd have plenty of depth. I, I think Ivan Tony is destined for a big club this year. Now, the only thing hanging over him, obviously, is that the gambling charge. So there could be a big suspension coming in his future, which might be the best thing for Bright or for Brentford, because it might mean he has to stay this summer. But like if I'm Spurs and Harry Kane says, I want to go, before I entertain calls for him, my first call is to Brentford to find out how much this guy is going to cost. And he's my Kane replacement. If I'm Bayern Munich looking for a striker, that's who I'm looking at. And I know people say, he's not good enough for those clubs. Yes, he is. Yes, he absolutely is. Because it's not just about goals with him. But he gets a ton of goals as well. But his work rate, the hold-up play, the link play, the way he runs channels and just gives defenders nightmares and occupies people and brings runners into the game. He's He is the complete number nine. How much would he have cost in the summer? Last um, summer, probably yeah. 40, 45. I think we would have got him considerably cheaper than we paid for Darwin. Yeah, and I think... And he's a lot further along in his development as well. And, like, the thing I really like about Tony is he plays with a real chip on his shoulder. Like, there's a real sense of having to prove himself every single time he goes out because his career's been so up and down. Starts at Northampton, comes through their academy. So not the glamour of a Premier League academy. Goes to Newcastle. Doesn't really get the chances. Bounces around on loan. Barnsley, Shrewsbury, Scunthorpe, Wigan, back to Scunthorpe. Peterborough take a chance on him. And they bring him in for about a million quid. 650 grand Peterborough paid for him. And he rewarded them with two great seasons in League One. Brentford bought him for five million, rising to ten as a championship club. His first season in the championship... He gets 31 goals in 45 games, at the time a championship record. Comes up into the Premier League. Last season he scored 12. This season he's got 20. And his all-round game is just right there. But he has that edge to him as well. Like You saw him when when Pinnock and Jota had the bit of a set to. He's over getting his point across. And we often see players you know, gobbing away and Virgil appears and they kind of meekly back down. And he didn't back down at all. He was more than happy to stand and go toe-to-toe with Virgil in that verbal sparring. He, he He's not intimidated by anybody. And the other factor is, he's a massive Liverpool fan. So it would mean everything to him to get to play for us. I, I would consider signing him in the summer if that right side at eight just doesn't work out for us. Or let's say, ideal situation, Jude stays another year. I'd happily spend money on, on Tony and wait a year for Jude with Gakbo filling that role. You say when you think we've got to prioritise which which positions we fill and all the rest of it is, um, I, I can't help but think back to one of the horrible times of this season when 
for for all you know, for all he put in the best effort he could, we had Ox playing up front because we were so short on on front men because people were getting injured, and then the ones who were fit to play were were, were then getting injured. And you know, I'm convinced the reason Jotham missed so much of the season is because we didn't really have anyone to bring on for him towards the he end. Got you know, played in that game. Yeah, and and you know, and, and this this is the kind of thing that that you know you've got to look at. You've got to look at filling your squad with people who are good enough, um, literally to, to to ensure that you're not going to be down to the wrong plays in the wrong positions. If they can play in more than one position, so like you just said, with Gakpo maybe doing a different role, it gives you more flexibility again. And um, it, it, there's too much of a narrative at times. I think about this is our front, our best eleven. Why do we need to change it? Kind of thing. You know, you don't need a best eleven anymore. You need a best twenty odd. Um, you need players who can come in. If you want to be fighting on all four fronts for the whole season as well, you've got that. And if, if, if on a really good season, injury-wise, you might have a few players kicking the heels and people will think, he's a bit of a waste of money. But it wasn't because having him on the bench made sure the others played well as well, you know. I don't need a VPN. I've got nothing to hide. <laughs> this is what I used to tell myself before I hooked up with LibertyShield.com. Not only is my home internet now fully encrypted, but I can now access all the websites I want, whenever I want, and do so from absolutely anywhere. As a Liverpool fan, I love to know I can now watch every match, regardless of whether it's on UK TV or not. My Liberty Shield VPN makes sure nothing is blocked and guarantees me super fast streaming speed throughout that match. You can get connected right now with their software package, which includes a 48-hour no-obligation free trial and instant access to their apps for Apple, Android, Fire TV, PC, Mac and Android TV. Or go a step further like I have and get one of their pre-configured VPN routers. These small but powerful devices allow you to easily connect every device in your home to VPN, making it the perfect solution for smart TVs Mag boxes and games consoles. Visit libertyshield.com today and use coupon code AIVPN25 to get 25% off at checkout. Jim, when you see the return of some of our uh, better uh, quality footballers, when you see um, Luis Diaz back involved again and, and the excitement that he brings to it, we see the emergence of Cody Gakbo. Not as great as the afternoon, I think we, we can all agree, but um, he's so tidy, neat and tidy and inventive and strong on the ball and stuff like that. He fits right in. Um you see Mo back on an, an upward curve in terms of productivity and just the general vibe of him. Uh, it's hard not to get excited and maybe you start to temper what for me was a very pessimistic outlook before about just how much work needed to be done. It's, it's, it's a little bit heartening at least to see that, you know, there are absolutely quite a few changes that need making uh, absolutely and to not do them will be silly um, and 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 to not be thinking short term is idiotic uh, but it, 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 it is a little bit heartening that we can get these results again the, the smile on the manager's face at the end of the day today is indicative I think of the feel coming back to this squad of winning games and what that means and getting on a run that is heartening isn't it it is happening and, and that's the thing we, we we look back to the the year we won the league and we look back even to times when you know we, we came so close to it against this, a side who were hard to be up against for winning leagues we we talked again and again about the games where we sort of 
maybe didn't play well the whole 90 minutes, but we, we got the win. We knew how to get that win. And, um, it may have given us a few of us coronaries during the game and things like that with few of us, you know, with our pessimistic memories of, of how things have been, we're sort of jumping back and, um, you know, recoiling in horror maybe at times that, you know, we're going to have one of these nightmares where we just throw away a game that we've kind of controlled. And, um, it's just that, that, that whole attitude. I think, you know, if you think back to Istanbul, all that, the, the, the miracle of Istanbul and all the rest of it, the reason we, we came out on top then was because we didn't give up, you know, and I mean, in the end, players were probably practically killing themselves to stay, you know, to stay in control, but I wouldn't say in control of the game on that game, but, you know, just to, to keep the scores as what it was. Um, okay, you can't put that much effort in, but, you know, we have to win games. We have to look like we want to win games. There were moments today when I thought, oh God, we're doing it again. We're starting to relax, but, Really, you know, we, we, we did keep them at bay. I mean, the, there was a worry today that I, I think a better, a better 11 playing the way they did would have beaten us. Um, they, they did do some dangerous things or we let them do some dangerous things and, um, a, a better, a better opponent, you know, if, if there'd been some better teammates for the guy we've just been enthusing about, maybe they would have got goals. But I don't know. At the same time, I think there's still that thing that we just know we've got to be better than what we're playing and, we did that and I don't know, it's not comfortable watching us kind of almost sit back for a game and not put everything into getting more and more goals. But we've been that leaky this season that, you know, you can't, you can't underestimate what a clean sheet feels like. And I believe that could have been, was it Allison's hundredth clean sheet or something? So, you know, another, another milestone as well as Salah's milestone today. And, um, and the reason we've got these milestones is because we've been so good for the last few years and, you know, it, it felt like it was all over, but, is it five in a row we've won seven unbeaten I mean it's not a massive run but it's a decent run considering what we've had before and we've just now got to keep that momentum going for what's left of this season and take her into the next one um, it is heartening you're right and Klopp at the end hats off to the crowd didn't feel it needed a fist bump uh, hats off he knows what the fans do for us um, and I wouldn't be surprised if the hats off was actually partly as well for what they did before the game yeah, no doubt. Um, although, you know, he doesn't like to wade into that territory himself, but no doubt he understands. Uh, let's you and I talk about that opening section, which led to that little milestone for Mo. Well, I say little, it's quite a massive one. Um, in the opening goings, I think the first thing of note that happens in the match is that uh, Virgil uh, gets given a yellow on four minutes uh, for going to ground in a tackle with Onyeko. Um there's good pressure from us, which starts via the aforementioned Allison with a fantastic ball in defeat. It leads to a free kick, leads to a corner. The ball broke eventually to Mo Salah, and his effort from outside the box was pretty much a, a tame token effort at the keeper. That's on the eight-minute mark. We saw another brilliant move then, starting with great one-touch stuff over on the right flank, pinging balls into feet, you know, in opposite directions to open up a bit of space. It ends with a Mo Salah cross, which leads to a corner. And before you know it, we are a goal up from the resulting play at the after that corner on 12 minutes. Mo finds Fabinho, who crosses to the back post to Virgil. His knockback is across the face of goal. And it's bundled home by Mo, who kind of touches it with the base of his foot and then makes sure with what I was sure given Anthony Taylor's absolutely outrageously awful performance this afternoon, was going to be given for a high boot or something. But anyway, 
he hooks it home from literally six inches out uh, and we're a goal up. Um, that is nine successive games in which he scored a new record. Uh, Suarez and Hodgson are both on eight. Torres before before them on seven. It's uh, just doubling down. That's his 30th goal this season. I've heard Dave uh, on his own show this week going on about the incredible numbers that Mo's producing. What a ridiculous phenom he is really if we're being perfectly honest uh, and how much there's left in him which is exciting so just on that opening um Jim I don't think there was too much evidence of anything for us to worry about and we looked like we're like we've started well in recent games and that looked like oh we could actually give these a right kick in if we get our act together here we were playing some very good uh front foot positive football yeah, we were. I mean, I mean, by, at this point, I think my only worry was that, um, uh, Mant Tony, because, um, what I saw them do a little bit was there was a little bit of kind of playing for free kicks. You know, they were, um, I mean, Virgil's yellow, maybe, I mean, that, I wouldn't say it was undeserved yellow. It was a foul, but it was a bit four minutes into a game, giving a yellow for that is setting the tone that you're basically saying that Liverpool can't do much this game. They're going to be in trouble with any sort of challenge. And Brentford straight away were thinking, right, well, we'll, uh, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll play on that then. And, um, I mean, there was one point just before the goal where I think Tommy just basically threw his ass in front of one of our players. So there would be contact and, and went down in the way throughout the game. They were going down so easily it was just so frustrating because it, it, it's, they, they weren't even fouls. You know, it was just pathetic and the, the referee just falls for it every time. Maybe, um, maybe even in his own mind, knowing that that wasn't a foul, but what the hell? It's only Liverpool. Um, that's how it feels. And that's why someone like him shouldn't be involved in a, in any Liverpool game. Um, but yeah, all that aside, that, that, that build up, um, I mean, just before the goal, there was some wonderful, um, plays. Salah got a cross in as well after a good bit of work by Liverpool and Nunes just missed out on it. And I think that was the corner that led to the goal. And again, you know, we, we see us take corners sometimes and nothing comes of it. But this again, you know, this sort of keeping the pressure on from the corner. You know, when a team's just clearing a corner that, you see it so often with us that we're clearing a corner and we're still in a bit of it's panic mode thinking, shit, they're going to come back. But, you know, they're doing it to us. They're you know, we're doing it to them, sorry. And um I just love the way that when Fabinho got the ball, that just that was just such a lovely little little pass. Uh, Virgil with his lovely little header and then Salah, like you say, just making sure. Um And to be honest with you, I didn't even realise they were waiting on VAR for it. Um It just didn't look remotely offside to me, but... Yeah, we had to wait. It's the usual thing. But you know what? Gives you a second chance to cheer the goal, doesn't it? So, um, yeah. it's not always bad. Um, they do try to kill things, but you know, um, why it took so long again, you know, I'm sure they must by now they know how to use this system and they don't need to take that long to make that kind of decision. It, it, it's, it's, um, a never ending source of, uh, just utter disdain for me. I think it's, absolutely ripped the joy out of a lot of the best parts of football which you quite often are the goals um and it's um it's a, it's an issue it's a real issue it's 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 taken an awful lot of like i said the just the pure reaction and joy out of the game for me and i, I would assume i'm hardly on my own uh, dave to look at the next chunk of the game there and feel free if you want to say anything about that opening 15 where we uh, get ahead. I couldn't help but notice that Raya, Raya was taking freeze from around the halfway. Mm. And I thought that was an interesting little thing to see. You don't see that much. Um, and 
this trend that Jim has pointed out of them going over um, at the least little touch um, was an absolutely a massive feature of the match. I, I've rarely heard Anfield so absolutely wound up by a referee and it's because it's him. Yes, for sure. He doesn't actually even merit any kind of ref watch discussion, this lad, because he's a parody of himself at this stage. Some of those decisions were absolutely horrendous. We'll see them as we go along. But that pattern was there of them buying easy free kicks. Probably immediately uh, beforehand, some uh, red had been absolutely manhandled or elbowed in the face or wrestled to the ground or held back. That's fine. But one of the theirs goes over um, in a dubious fashion and it's immediately a free kick. And listen, we have no reason to be griping or having sour grapes. We've got the three points. I've got there's nothing to gain by saying this. But it, it does seem quite blatant. Just a word, a quick word on Taylor before we, you and I push on through the rest of the f- first half. I, I mean, Trev, the, the performance of Anthony Taylor today gave you the impression that when they had some late free kicks in and around our box, that if one of them dropped in front of them, he'd have wellied it into the goal, ripped his shirt off to unveil a tattoo of himself on his back and then <laughs> leaped into the Brentford fans to celebrate his achievement. Um, it was one of the worst refereeing performances I've ever seen. And like, there was nothing egregious. Like there was no huge decision that he got wrong. It's the culmination of all those little things that he gets wrong. The ones that stood out the most to me, Virgil won a header. You, You tweeted about this. Virgil won a header on the halfway line and he gave them a free kick. Moments later, Ben Mee climbed all over Mo and won a header and no free kick was given on the edge of their box. Uh, and the one that really wound me up. First half, set piece for them. Allison gets the ball after a bad delivery from the free kick. He looks up and sees Mo, And as he's about to clear it, Ben Mee grabs his arm and pulls mm. out of him. And no free kick was given. No yellow card was given. But yet, Virgil got a yellow card four minutes into the game or however long that was, which is absolutely ridiculous. Fabinho got a yellow card for playing the ball because Ivan Tony then ran into his foot. And Ibu got a yellow card for kicking the ball as the whistle was blown. Cody fouled, yeah. I think it was in Bomo. As the referee blows the whistle, Ibu kicks the ball. He's already in his striking motion before the whistle goes to his mouth. And he books him for that. Those are those are awful decisions. And there was a culmination of those throughout the game. There was one of the first half where Nyeka drove in at our at our box and just left his leg there to take a free kick. There was another one where Jensen got out muscled by Cody but went down holding his head. Well that's a free kick to them and let's stop the game and, and make sure he's okay. You know, there was just this feeling that every single decision in the game was going in their favor. And like I said, it really did it really did get to the point where I was half expecting him to pull a penalty or something out of his arse because he he just looked like he was looking to give decisions against them. And I don't know if this is in any way a factor, but Anthony Taylor is very good friends with Paul Tierney. Very good friends. He's a couple of years older than them, but they've been refereeing in the Premier League together now for about nine years. Neither of them should be near our club. They're both Um, from Greater Manchester. hmm. 
So you'd imagine they've got quite a lot in common in terms of, you know, they grew up in Greater Manchester in and around the same era, probably similar enough upbringings. They're, they've probably got quite a lot in common, but they are well known to be good friends. And I do wonder if the fact that Paul Tierney, who I'm guessing shaved his head in support of Anthony Taylor's baldness, um, <laughs> being stood down from games this weekend, which, remember, he did nothing wrong last weekend, but somehow isn't refereeing this weekend. I do wonder if Anthony Taylor thought, all right, well, you're, you, you fuck my mate over. I'm going to fuck you over today. And every little foul and niggle I can give against you, I'm going to give it. Because he gave them every opportunity today. They had so many great set-piece opportunities. And they're a great set-piece team. And this is where I want to link it back in. They're a great set-piece team. Probably the best in the league. So by giving them a lot of free kicks and a lot of opportunities to pump the ball into the box, especially knowing the frailties we've had in that regard this season, he really was doing them a huge favour. And I, yeah. I just think when you're playing for set pieces like they are, you get the encouragement early on that you're going to get most of the set pieces you, you're trying to get. And it, it, you know, it becomes even, you know, it sort of vindicates your game plan that that's what, if that's what you're going to do. Um, and I don't blame them for doing that as much as I hate to see it. Um, football should be better at stamping it out, but having him or Tini in a game, Recently, I had the misfortune of deciding to read this report about the BBC who'd recruited a chairman who was meant to sort of say if he had any sort of conflicts of interest or anything that might um, suggest bias, because the BBC is meant to be an impartial organisation, unlike most of the other news organisations in this country. Um, And he didn't think he needed to mention that he'd got it sorted out a loan for Boris Johnson of £800,000, the Boris Johnson who actually signed off to give him the job as chairman, basically, the man who agreed he could become chairman. He didn't think he needed to mention any of that in his interview. Um, who would have thought you would need to mention it? But the thing is, the whole, what the read, what the re- judgment on that was basically saying was that it's about if there's anything that could even be construed as suggesting that there's any impartiality on your part, you need to say something. And then they'll decide whether you get the job because it's not even that you are biased. It's the fact that you've got something that might make people think you are, which can have a problem. Now, if you're a referee from, from, from Wigan, which is just halfway between Liverpool and Manchester, perhaps, um, that town is full of people who will support Liverpool. I know that, but there's full of people who support the Manchester teams. And it's also full of people who hate Scousers. If you go to Withenshaw and say, what do you think of Scousers? I'm not sure you're going to get a load of like praise and people tell you how great they think they are. You probably get stuff about hubcaps and, and tracksuits and all the other sort of stereotypes. I mean, we, we, at the start of the show, we talked about how bad Liverpool gets treated by, by the country, by the establishment. But, you know, the, the way the country is... Um, if Liverpool was the republic it sometimes feels it wants to be, you'd class it as xenophobia because the way people treat Scousers in the country is bad. But of all the places where it's bad, it's those people down the road in, as you say, in Wigan, in Withenshaw, in Greater Manchester. Um, just whether they're biased or not, and we 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 obviously think they are because of how bad the decisions are at times. They shouldn't even be near the club. They shouldn't be making any of those decisions. They should not be refereeing our games. Oh, I supported Altrincham. It doesn't doesn't cut. It doesn't work because 
what do you think of Scousers? Did they get asked that question? No. And would they answer it honestly? I doubt it. Stick them all on a lie detector and I bet they'll be sweating like mad. Um, don't let them near our games. It's not difficult, really. I don't think anyone in the Northwest should be refereeing games in the Northwest. There's a few other exclusions, obviously Leeds and Manchester, maybe. Leeds yeah. have got a big rivalry with Man United, that kind of thing. But these are obvious things. You could sit people down for half an hour and come up with a list of things where you keep people apart. Keep referees away That's from the these thing. places. Like- it's not hard. When you think about it, Jim, as well, like these two lads were born in 78 in, in Taylor's case and 80 in Tierney's case. They grew up in 90s, 80s and 90s Manchester, where the rivalry between the two cities was probably a lot more venomous than it even is now. Mm-hmm. You know, especially when you when you think back to a lot of the hooligan element that went on back in the 80s. It wasn't just... Liverpool Football Club against Manchester United Football Club. It was the city of Liverpool, Liverpool and Evertonians against all people from Manchester and wherever they would go, there would be trouble from one side or the other. And like, even if, even if these two lads themselves don't have that conscious bias, there's going to be a subconscious bias because of the environment that they were brought up in. And there's no way they didn't go to school or hang around with people or even in their own homes with, you know, older kids and younger men and older men who would have been very much in that kind of fuck the Scousers kind of mindset. Mm -hmm. So that like we're all products of our environment. We're all representative of how we were raised and where we were raised. And consciously or subconsciously, there's absolutely no way that there's not a an underlying bias in how those two gentlemen and others referee Liverpool games. The three of us very much showed uh, the um, power of uh, the place of your birth in terms of how you look at the world uh, at the start of this show today. So I think that underlines the point you've made there. Uh, Dave, on 19 minutes, there was a bit of a token shot from Curtis at the keeper after a great ball from Trent to Robbo across field, a really beautiful ping pass started off a nice move. 21 minutes, Virgil decided he was going to have a long range shot, which rattled the hoardings. Fair play to him. Uh, Jensen bought a free kickoff. Taylor, one of the ones you mentioned uh as 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 he was fouling Cody Gakpo himself, he gets the free kick. Another one on 24 minutes. Ibu Kanate blown um, uh, in a for a challenge against Tony. Absolute nonsense. Uh, there's a yellow on 26 minutes. This time it's one of theirs and Wumo who takes away uh, takes out Jota as we were breaking from that free kick that should not have been a free kick. He's still at it on 27 minutes. This time it's against Jota. A ridiculous decision again. There's a chance in 28 minutes, Trent plays a ball through, a majestic ball through, like the absolute world-class central midfielder that he could be, it seems. Uh, Darwin's made a very good run, if we're being honest. Diagonal run towards the sort of centre of the six-yard box. The ball is perfect for him to run onto it and volley at home. He manages, he contrives somehow, best known to himself, to make contact on the volley, all right, but to somehow get it off target from point blank. Um, he followed up, to be fair with him, uh, to him with a dangerous ball in on the half hour mark, which led to a corner, which uh, w- apparently there was a, some fouling by a Liverpool player, so it was a free out, uh, according to Anthony. Uh, 
Trent was caught in position at 32. That led to a long throw. And what I liked about it was Trent won the header from that throw, uh, which kind of, you know, tied it up in a neat little bow. They did have an opportunity on 38. It's a Tony low, hard, free kick, but he had nothing to aim at really uh, because the wall did its job and was lined up correctly. And I think Ali was getting across. He seemed to have it covered on the replay. But I'm going to pause it here because they had it on in the net on 40 minutes. It was a Tony through ball to Mbumo who holds off Virgil, carries it, finishes it. It goes to VAR. It, it, he also evades uh, Trent, to be fair, in that as well before he finishes really well. It goes to VAR. It's disallowed because VAR uh, decided or saw that actually – Van Dyke had checked his run, his, his movement, just like really deliberately little check in his, in his movement to catch the player offside. I don't think there's any doubt that it's a deliberate uh, move by Virgil, who's been doing that successfully for us for years. Uh, but I was struck by the fact that as the play continued and he continued just because obviously the flag doesn't go up straight away. I worry sometimes, Dave, that perhaps that pace, that recovery pace has gone out of Virgil's game because once Embuevo got in, inside him, I, I was nervous uh, and he didn't seem to have the legs to catch him. Talk to me um, about that, that chunk or, and, and maybe my take on the goal, on their, on their uh, disallowed goal. So if we think back to the, the Brentford away game, when Virgil got injured, he got injured trying to chase Mbomo down the touchline and never got anywhere close to him. And today he did actually catch up to him. He actually caught up to him on the edge of the box. And I do wonder what would have happened if Trent hadn't gotten the way. Because Trent yeah. gets in everybody's way from there. Because of the run, the angle of the run that Trent, Trent makes and the lack of an effort to play the ball... He actually gets in Allison's way and he blocks Allison from being able to step a step across because Allison then can't see where the ball is. And that gives Mbomo the window to put the ball in. I do wonder if Trent doesn't get in the way, can Virgil actually get across and make the block? And I think Ali can shuffle across with it as well. So I don't think they score, but I, I agree fully with you, Trev. I, I, he's not as quick as he was. That's, that's an absolute certainty. He's not as quick as he was, but. He's still plenty quick enough, I think. The issue is we're asking him and Ibu to cover far too much ground. Like, you're basically asking each of them to cover half of the pitch. Half of half of the pitch, sorry. So you're basically giving them a quarter of the pitch each and saying, right, lads, that's on you. You take care of all of that. And it's to me, it's just a bit too much. It's one of the reasons why, if we're going to stick with this shape, one of the key things is that Andy Robertson is replaced by a left-footed centre-back who can cover left back when we have the ball, when we don't have the ball, but when we have the ball, we'll defend that left side because then you've got Virgil able to sweep across behind and cover them. But Virgil's movement at the start of that, you're 100% right. He does check his run. He does play him offside purposely. And I know what you're saying about the VAR earlier, and it does take some of the joy out of the game, but it is something that since it was brought in, we have very heavily leaned into it in terms of that defensive line and yeah. trying to catch. So like we are probably benefiting from it more than it's taking away from the, the actual team. Now as fans, obviously it's different, 
But in terms of the team and the plan, it, we're, we're probably using it to our, our advantage quite well. But yeah, I mean, it, it does give you some worrying moments. But uh, Trent, for me, just he sprinted back, and I admire the effort and the energy to get back. But he gets in the way, and that's kind of what gives Embomo that little window to score from. Because I think he had shot himself a little bit with Virgil breathing down his neck. I don't think he wanted to shoot on the run. I think he wanted to kind of slow himself and pick a spot. And with Virgil catching behind him, he couldn't do that. So by Trent running across, he was able to step to his left, which allowed him to kind of take a a step to set himself. And then because Ali's vision is blocked by Trent, he's able to spank it in the back. And it's a good finish, but meant nothing in the end. We are very, very, I guess, spoiled by years of seeing Virgil lean across um, some of the very finest attackers in Europe and just ease them away as if they were little children. And he's just saying, now, 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 run along. We've seen that so often. And it, 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 he's he, every time he's in a situation like that, he's being judged against his own high standards. So I think I think that's absolutely fair assessment by you. And I, I'm, I'm hoping as well that, you know, that it, there's a sort of a reboot for him next year and, and, and that what's ahead of him will help out an awful lot with that, too. There is a yellow card for Fabinho on 42 minutes. I literally have no idea why. Free kick was given in a dangerous area. One of the, uh, the it seems to be the the mo of Anthony Taylor this afternoon, and at least from that free kick, like Trent earlier on, where his mistake led to uh, a situation, he uh, Fab gets to it and um, has a it, important um, sort of. Uh, Involvement there and Ali held on to the ball. Decent move from us in 44. Shot his shot was blocked. And then Anthony Taylor just proving he's a shite referee. Ibukanate took out Tony, who was on the break. And it probably should have been a yellow card, but for this reason, for this time around, he doesn't give it just to prove that he's actually completely uh, incompetent. Three minutes were added, nothing came from them. And Jim, you and I start the second half together. They really were out the gap pretty fired up. They were really up for it. Um, the game was pretty much in and around our box for the first four or five minutes. Uh, there was a long shot from Trent, which was over the top on about the 50-minute mark. And then there was a chance for them, a ball out to Henry on the 51st minute. He cut in and he hit the most awful effort absolutely atrocious effort just basically swung his foot and almost missed the ball completely cuts across it with the whole goal to aim at and just it's an, a, a just a god-awful shot on 53 minutes we have an opportunity shot crosses the ball into cody gakpo who's a yard out and somehow uh manages to get it the ball cleared rather than just touch it and for a guy who's so quick and good with his feet like Cody I think it was just the pace across was just a little bit too much <laughs> Cody couldn't even get out of the way I guess is Jim is what I'm saying and unfortunately then it just looks like a, the most awful miss from about a yard out um Ibu does get his yellow on 53 minutes for literally kicking the ball um it was uh mimed out by Anthony Taylor as being like kind of cumulative you did this, you did this, you did this Uh, so maybe that's just catching up on the one that should have been given in the first half but it wasn't a foul, he didn't do anything wrong so that's just great. There's no way he could have given it for for dissent, I don't think because he kicked the ball kind of as soon as the second foul happened 
you know, like, you know, when, when they're doing the 100 meter sprint, you know, you can get done for a false start because of how long it takes the brain to react to the gun. They can work out. But even though you, you started after the gun had gone, you were too quickly after the gun had gone. Um, to me, it, it, it wasn't. He kicked the ball away, but he was still in the in the game. The ball was still in play in his head. He was too soon after the free kick. But Gapo had had a couple of fouls just before that. And to me, I wondered if he was mistaken identity, which would you know really reflect badly on him. But it's just incompetence. I can't think of what else it is. Well, he's in the middle of a run here because immediately after that is the one that uh, either you or Dave mentioned uh, about uh, which. I was so fascinated by I had to make, do a tweet about it. he blew for a free kick against Virgil van Dijk for winning a header um, in 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 majestic style. I wrote down VVD penalised for being backed into. I mean, how dare you be in the way? You know exactly. <laughs> Exactly. Uh, another free out uh, on the 61st minute. Uh, another Taylor classic. On 64 minutes, then Jim, we bring on Luis Diaz for for Darwin Nunes. Unfortunately, the first uh, incident after that is a Janssen ball to the back post uh, where Hickey, if he's watching the flight of the ball properly, has a tap in at the back post. He's not, thankfully. He doesn't make contact. And at that point, Henry picks up a yellow a couple of minutes later for wrestling Cody to the ground. Uh, and there are a whole scatter of subs come on here. And I'm going to pause it there. 71 minutes, uh, Shada and De Silva come on for Henry and Onyeka, and we bring on Henderson for Jota on 72. It, that big chunk of that half, you know, I think all the incidents worth a damn I've mentioned there. Is there anything you want to pick up on or double down on there or talk about? No, I think it was just that it, it got to that stage now in the game where, you know, we'd gone, we'd gone ahead early. We were doing our utmost not, not to concede. We weren't really threatening them very often. I mean, they have got a good keeper and, and all of, on all of that, but you know, it wasn't, we, we weren't really threatening and it felt in a way that as, as, the, as the game had gone on, that we, we really should have been, um, I don't know, by going ahead so early, we were almost a victim of our original game plan. Um, you know, we were sort of too attacking, but they were sort of, they weren't sitting back anymore. If you get what I mean. And, um, in the end to me, like most of that half at that point, was just like my memories of it, if I hadn't taken notes, would just be about that man we just mentioned from Withenshaw. It was, yeah. it wasn't great to watch a lot of it, was it? That, that's my issue with it, but that's not an issue because we didn't concede. So yeah, it's not the exciting stuff, but we need, we need to be doing that for long spells. And that's, that's the best I can say. Um, and if anything, I think at this point, I think I wrote down that if Klopp's going to go and have have a word with the fourth official because of the ref. You might as well shout at the, the, the sky, you know, nothing's going to happen. I think what he's better doing is calling one of the players over and just say, listen, lads, this ref's a dick. We need to win this game ourselves before he takes it off us. And that's the only advice I would give to Klopp. Don't bother wasting time with the fourth official because they don't, they don't listen. How dare you criticize the referee friend? Hello, I'm here to annoy you. I'm here to annoy you into listening to more of me and more of others on EPL Index. We don't just have the Anfield Index stuff. We've got EPL Index as well, which covers the entirety of the Premier League. And we have three podcasts and a whole bunch of really good writing on EPLindex.com. The podcasts are my own two-footed podcast, which is every day at 4 p.m., Monday through Friday, covering the whole league. We have a tad predictable 
hosted by Tadiwa. You know Tadiwa, he does Anfield Index. He presents a tad predictable before every Premier League match week. And then Kevin DeVries and his crew on the EPL roundtable there every week after the Premier League match week. So make sure you listen to everything we're doing on EPL Index and follow us there on Twitter at EPL Index. Thank you. Bye-bye. Yes, fair enough that. I, I will be back to you, Jim, in a minute to get your final thoughts and wrap up uh, along with any pointers you have for stuff coming out from yourself in a minute so you can be thinking on that and Dave you and I'll see the game out uh, before I go to Jim and then finish up with you so on 73 minutes I thought there was a bit of decent play that led to a corner nothing really came out of that Trent did very well in a 1v1 with the new boy Shada on about 76 minutes Um, I mention it because again it's important to mention good Trent defending because most people don't Uh, Ali picks up a yellow for time wasting on 77 because of course uh, on 77 minutes there is a wonderful move which ends with a Trent belter of a shot Pretty well saved by Raya, goes out for a corner, nothing accrues from that. We bring on Jimbo Miller because, of course, we must. It's in his contract. And Simicus for Curtis and Robbo on 80. Uh, and it's not long before Jim is kicking a lad up in the air. That's also in his contract. They bring on Baptiste and Damsgaard for uh, Jan Elt and Janssen on 81. Uh, there is a chance on 83 minutes. There's a Mo header to Cody Gakpo who chests it down as he's bearing down on goal. The ball bounces, he hits his half volley, and it's kind of high, wide, and handsome. It could have been, I think, a decent opportunity. And I'm thinking of a guy with Cody's technical ability. It looked a good opportunity to me. Yeah. Uh, they bring on a sub uh, on 87 minutes for Hickey. Visa, I think, comes on. There's four minutes added. Thankfully, they weren't that painful, Dave. That's the only thing I'll say about that last sec- section. Uh, it wasn't the endurance that it has been in the last game, for example, where we were inviting the opposition on in a very dangerous way. Yeah, I mean, look, I think it's fair to say we, we didn't play particularly well today and it was a little bit kind of, you know, hold your breath at the end and hope that they can't work something out of a set piece. But at the end of the day, we did have some really good chances today outside of the goal that we got. You know, there was the, the Trent ball to Darwin early in, in the first half, which is, is actually too perfect of a ball and sort of bounces between his feet. And if it's a little bit one side or a little bit the other, he can probably get his foot on it. Um, there's the, the Cody chance where Gakpo or where Jota gets on the end of Moe's ball and lashes it across and it just sort of hits him because he had to hit it as powerful as he could to get it by Raya and Cody can't divert it into the goal. There's this Gakbo chance that you've just mentioned where I, I don't think he realizes how much time he has. I think he thinks the defender is much closer to him and he has to lash at it. If he just is a little bit more measured there, I think he, I think he finishes it. And like, there you go. That, that could easily, could easily have been 4-0 to us. And when you yeah. consider that Allison only had one save to make in the entire game, like that would have been a much more comfortable win. Would it have been reflective of the scoreline? No, but it is what happened in the game. We could easily have gotten four goals. So 
you know, when it got to the end of the game, I, I was I was happy enough with how we performed. I I did think the subs made us worse. I didn't think the the Diaz introduction really worked because I don't think we got him the ball nearly enough. Um, the Henderson introduction didn't really work. Bringing Milner on hasn't worked since 2012. And Costas had very little to do. But you mentioned Milner coming on, and obviously everybody's making a big deal over the fact that Milner is, uh, I suppose, closing in on Gareth Barry, who's the all-time Premier League uh, appearance record holder with 652. Milner's now up to, I think, 616. So 36 if he was to feature in the remaining three games of this season. Um, that would be 619. And then, you know, if he goes to Brighton on a two year deal, he'll probably break Gareth Barry's record. But I saw something that I thought was interesting. James Milner Premier League minutes played 39,000. Gareth Barry 54,500 minutes played. Wow. wow. That's a, f- so 15,500 for a little bit of context. That's about 500 minutes less than Trent has played in his entire career. So Barry's minutes played is Milner's career and Trent's career to date, more or less. Like, Gareth Barry, what a fucking machine. <laughs> what an absolute machine. And I know it's irrelevant to this podcast, but I think it needed to be said. 54,500 Premier League minutes. Unbelievable. Nearly 70,000, nearly, well, just over 68,000 minutes for his club career. And he's probably over 2,000 for his international career. So over 70,000 minutes is, is just unbelievable. And he's, he's someone that obviously Rafa tried to sign. Um, but you know, ha- had himself a very impressive career overall. Um, anyway, back to us. Jim mentioned earlier, Mo. I mean, it's 110 goals and assists at Anfield or something, 110 in his last 110 games at Anfield or something like that, which is just ludicrous. Ali, a hundred clean sheets for Liverpool, just outrageous, absolutely outrageous. When you consider how poor we've been defensively this season, and the fact that he played basically an entire season with no recognised senior centre backs available um, two years ago, like that, that just shows the level this guy has been at. He is, he's the greatest goalkeeper in club history. I'm sorry, Ray Clemens. Uh, you've always been the one when people talked about Grobelar and talked about Reina laughably, they never came close to what Ray Clemens did. But this guy, in my view, has outstripped what Ray Clemens did. I, I think he's the best goalkeeper in the world. I think he has been now for a couple of years. He's still, I think, getting better. He's only 30. And when you look at other goalkeepers around Europe, I mean, stylistically, the closest thing to Ali is probably Manuel Naur, who's just turned 37 and still one of the probably six or seven best keepers in the world. And I think Ali's every bit as good as Naur was at his, at his peak. So for me, there's no reason we, we can't have another four or five or six great years out of this fella. And just on Mo, like what a machine, what an absolute machine. That's 30 goals for the season. Again, one off last season's tally which was also the season before's tally. Like, it's just incredible. 19 Premier League goals, going to hit 20 in all likelihood again this season, so that will be five seasons out of six, 
where he gets 20 Premier League goals. The other season, he got 19, and we won the league anyway, so it didn't really matter that he didn't hit 20. But this guy is just... This is the this is the greatest attacking player we've had. That's just what he is. You look at the goals per game record, and there are two better than him. And actually, it might have it might only be one after today. So Gordon Hodgson has the best in club history, and the other one who was like literally point zero one games per goal ahead of him was Suarez. He was one point six two games for every goal. Mo was 1.63, but he scored today, so it's probably about even. But like six seasons of this guy just doing this game after game after game after game, never injured, never causes a fuss. Any fuss around him is the creation of media nonsense. It's his agent trying to poke the bear on Twitter and get a reaction from the fan base. Mo himself has not caused one moment's hassle or bother for anybody. And as Klopp said after the game, it's when he's retired that people will realise just how great this guy is. When people talk about all-time Premier League 11s, this guy has to be in the conversation to start on the right-hand side. His Premier League legacy far outstrips Cristiano Ronaldo's. Far outstrips it. He's the best right-winger in Premier League history. He is an absolute machine, a force of nature, and someone that we need to embrace every minute that we have left of him because he's got two years left on his deal. Hopefully he stays beyond that, but, you know, he'll turn 31 this summer, so he he might decide he doesn't want to spend his mid-30s in in England. He might want to go elsewhere and try something new in his life. But for every moment we have him, we should be very, very blessed to have him because this guy is just... He is the best £37 million any club has ever spent. What a fucking player. And he, he just, he does it all while getting pulled and dragged and referees like Anthony Taylor allow him to be fouled over and over and over again. And I'd love to have the numbers to hand, but I don't. But Brundish, maybe about four or five months ago, put up a post on Twitter about touches per foul drawn. So how many times you touch the ball, you know, against how many free kicks you win a game. And I think Jack Grealish was like something like six or seven. For every six or seven touches he has, he wins a free kick. And like with Mo, it was like every 30 or something ridiculous like that. And there's just nobody's going to explain to me how that works. Nobody. It's just so stupid. The treatment that he gets from these referees and the lack of protection, like great players like him should be protected. Great players like him should not be allowed to be kicked up and down. And yet it happens and he just gets on with it. Referees just, shouldn't just act to play zoo, whine and cry and moan. Yeah, they they should actually it. look at what's happening because Mo will get up and smile. Yeah, he gets yeah. up and he just looks baffled. He looks absolutely baffled at what's gone on. And look, it happened last week against Spurs where Ben Davies was fouling him and somehow Ben Davies got a free kick. And from that, they went and won another free kick and then they scored. So, like, it's not just us moaning because, you know, about meaningless things. It does matter. In the context of the game, it does matter. Where this guy's not been refereed the way that he should be refereed. He doesn't get half what he should get. But fuck me, we've got every penny of our 37 million out of him and so much more. (laughs) We've just been... Like we really have been blessed with these last number of years and with this team coming to the end of its cycle, you know, the, the few 
truly great players thankfully still have years left in them, you know, like Allison and Virgil and, and Mo and Trent. But, you know, we've been so lucky to have all of these guys at the club together, all of these world class players at the club together. And it's just a shame that they didn't get to have more success. They didn't get multiple Premier League titles as a group. Now, the, those that I've just mentioned might, but you'd obviously Sadio's gone, Ginny's gone, um, Matt might go this summer, Bobby's leaving this summer. Like I'm talking about that, that whole group, they, they deserved far more than one title and one Champions League. It's, it's just a shame they didn't get it because that, that is Michael Edwards and Jurgen Klopp pulled off arguably the greatest team building, building exercise the Premier League has ever seen between the summer of 2016 and the summer of 2018. Phenomenal work. And hopefully we can start rebuilding and revamping and get back to that level. And these guys, Mo, Virgil, Ali, they can still play a huge part for the next four or five years, but they're the ones that deserve this rebuild more than anybody. They're the ones that deserve the opportunity to go and win more Premier League titles, more European Cups, because what they've brought to this club, and it's it's recognised too little while praise is, is sent in other directions. These are the guys that raised the standards of this club. These are the guys that elevated the levels. These are the guys that really did set the standards. And these are the guys that won us major silverware. That also feels like uh, very much like a wrap up from you as well. So you yes. just let us know what's uh, available for you, people to listen to and look at from you for the week to come. Yeah, two-footed, um, Monday, Wednesday, Friday and Saturday, daily read the same days. No pods on Tuesday this week, uh, but I am going to pod my way all through your Coronation Bank holiday, uh, just in a show of not really caring that you're having a Coronation Bank holiday, to be honest. Uh, there'll be a scouted with match at, ahead of the Leicester game. We'll probably do another one about something random at some point as well. Uh, myself and Dave Davies might have a fight fever next week. I'll see how that works. And I think part one of our transfer committee podcast is being recorded this coming week. Um, kind of, we're going to go through the squad and do a bit of keep, sell and loan and figure out what we need to do. And then we'll obviously have the main committee pod when we do the players we think should come in. And unless I'm mistaken, we have a bit of a gap now, do we? Oh no, Monday yeah. week. Monday yeah, so week. so so we might even fit a buzz in there, you and yeah. I. Yeah, yeah, with a bit of luck. See see how that goes. Jim, take us home then with your final thoughts, and like I said at the end, anything you want to point people in the direction of, please. Yeah, I mean another goal, another win by by a single goal. We're quite good at doing that now, but it's a win, another three points, some good moments. I think lots, lots and lots of things to build on. And I think maybe say a couple of games ago we were thinking, God, there's a lot. They got to go back to the training ground and drum into them. Where I think now there's a lot of stuff where we can go back to the training ground and say, look, lads, you're doing this right. And you know, on another day, I mean that's that's a famous saying in football, isn't it? But on another day, some of those chances would have gone in. You know, Darwin would have scored, Cody would have scored, but you know, we they didn't this time. But the fact that they're in and around in the game, you know, in, in, in the, in the mix for it is, is a great thing that we're creating those chances. So, you know, and winning. And I think, I think you alluded to it a bit as well, Trev, earlier on that we've still got that in our DNA, that thing about that, that wanting to win, that, that, that battling instinct, that 
that I don't know, just even when things aren't going your way, you still find enough to get through. And, you know, if you're playing against 12 men or against an amazing team, which, whichever it is that we, we work together as a team, the team works back and there's so many good signs, I think. And I know, you know, it's not quite the heady heights we had a couple of years ago, but I think what it is, is it is massively something to build on. And, um, of course, next season we won't have Milner. That could actually maybe potentially be his last appearance, unless the contract does say he's got to come on for his foul at some point in the next Anfield game. Um, subs bench today, again, underlines what we need to do in the summer. Um, what can you do? You've got four up front and you've got a right back who's kind of playing in midfield and, you look on the bench, there's not, there's not the kind of options you want. You know, you, you bring on a forward for another forward where maybe you want to bring on a midfielder for one of your forwards and things, but that's what we've got to work on. I don't know. I mean, maybe, maybe today would have been a good experiment, uh, a good chance to maybe see how about playing Joe at right back for a bit and let Trent stay in midfield, but never mind. It's a brave decision. It seems, um, I don't see why we don't just give it a try. Um, and I agree with, uh, I also agree with Dave about, uh, Ali. He's definitely overtaken Ray Clements, who was an absolute legend. Um, if anything, the reason Ali does it is he's probably got a lot more work to do a lot of the time than Ray Clements ever had to do. Um, but he's always there to be called on the amount of times. Although, I mean, a couple of times this season he's, he's made mistakes and that, but I don't give a damn. He's, he's done a lot more for us than he's, than he's got wrong. Um, he's definitely right. We're quietly picking up points. Um, a lot of talk about whether we can overtake the Manx or, or Newcastle and get a Champions League place. But I think we've just got to remember that Brighton have got many games in hand and I think they can still overtake us regardless of what we do. So we, we need to keep winning these games because we need them to slip up. We don't need to slip up as well. Um, another one, one more quick thing, um, long throws. We were panicking about them a couple of weeks ago. We didn't seem to be that panicked this time. So again, something else to build on. We saw a game. We were bad. We went back to the training ground. We worked out how to deal with them. Um, maybe the, the word was stop panicking, you dickheads. Um, and Mo, I think one other thing just to say about him is, and, and again, I think, I think you've alluded to it as well, both of you really with Mo is that what a player, an amazing player, but what a man, an amazing man. And quite often in football, you get one or the other. Um, you hear about players who are not, not maybe the best player ever, but you have a lot of respect for them because of what they do off the field and the way they are and, you know, the role models and all the rest of it. But Mo, Mo does all that and does the football as well and does it in some style. So we're lucky to have him. Um, and hopefully we've got him for a while to come. As for shows for us, well, we've struggled to get time together to do a Scouser Tommy's. We're hoping to do one, um, because thanks to the king, or if that, that's what you want to call them. We've got an extra day off on Monday, so we might have some time um, to record a Scouser Tommy's where, you know, we'll show how much respect I'm sure we have for the royal family um, and our gratitude for having this extra day off um, to try and record a pod. But if not, then we'll do one very soon. We've got a lot to talk about, so we'll be back. And we look forward to listening to it because it's always a, a lovely uh a, lo- a lovely, relaxed and insightful chat between you two guys. And I hope you are listening to whatever Jim is doing or whatever Dave is doing. Um, I'll be trying to throw my usual lot your way during the week as well. I have been Trev Denny. That was Jim Boardman and Dave Hendrick. This is Raw. And if you excuse me now, I'm off to enjoy some quality booze. We hope you enjoyed listening to this Anfield Index show. Please be sure to subscribe to our channel so future podcasts find their way to your device automatically. There's nothing quite like fan engagement, and we'd love to know what you think of anything discussed on this show. 
The best way to get in touch is over on our free Discord community, where both podcasters and listeners debate the hottest LFC topics 24-7. Sign up free now at anfieldindex.com forward slash discord. You won't regret it. You can also follow us on Twitter at Anfield Index and find us on Facebook by searching for Anfield Index. Oh, and before you go, we'd love it if you could leave us a five-star review on your favourite podcast app. It only takes a couple of seconds and it means the world to the people who create these free shows. Sports Social Podcast Network.